I'd love to have you find a Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we are continuing the series called Vertigo, the disorienting stories of Jesus. And if you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke listening to these parables uh, as Jesus is traveling on the way to Jerusalem. And so we are sort of traveling with Jesus on the way to uh, Easter Sunday, where we celebrate uh, his death and eventual resurrection. I hope this series has been meaningful for you. Um, I really hope that it's been life-giving. I hope that maybe you've, uh, some, some new insights have, have opened up the scriptures in a new way, and maybe it's, it's still sort of working its way into your life. And so I really hope it has been meaningful. Uh, it was great to have Jim here last week. Uh, Jim, I got to listen to his sermon online, just a great word about the first part of Luke chapter 18, uh, and we get to kind of continue that this morning. And I got to be at McPherson, which was really fun. Uh, I don't get to be there very often, so I got to be at our McPherson campus. It's great to be uh, part of a church in multiple places. So next week, we're going to end our series, Vertigo, and I already know the sermon title is called Pity the Fool. Um, there's no L, it's just Pity the Fool. Um, if you, Mr. T fans, anybody? Uh, if you want to hear more about that, you can come back next week. It's from Luke chapter 12. And, um, and then on Easter Sunday morning, we're starting a, a three-week series, a three-week teaching called Victory, uh, where our, our hope for the three weeks, starting on Easter Sunday morning, is we're just going to take a look at the cross and ask questions about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because we say things in the church like, hey, Jesus died for our sins. Well, what does that mean? that Jesus died for our sins. Like, how did that whole thing work? Why did Jesus die for our sins? Um, And so we're going to just take a look at these questions that Christians have asked for a a long time. And we're going to look at the New Testament. There are over 20 different metaphors, images in the New Testament that New Testament writers use to capture a bit of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so these three weeks, we're just going to, it's almost like we're looking. We're, we're looking at the cross. We're just sort of walking around it. And what we'll notice over three weeks is it gets more and more beautiful what God has done for us in Jesus uh, the more we look at it. And so the, the series is called Victory and super excited about that. But this morning, uh, series, the sermon is titled, Have Mercy, Have Mercy. Not like the was it Stamos, James Stamos? Was it James Stamos from uh, Full House? Have mercy. Not like that, have mercy. Um, John Stamos, not James Stamos. Thank you for correcting me. Um, so, uh, have mercy. I need to confess that I sometimes become a people watcher. For how many of you is like people watching an activity? Like that's like language in your home. Like what are you doing? Are just people watching? Um, Yeah, Uh, I I didn't know if this was like a normal thing, but like in the family I grew up in, like this was like a Friday evening activity. What do you do? You go to the mall or you go to Walmart or whatever, and you just sort of watch people. Uh, Carmen and I sometimes like we'll, we'll be sitting eating ice cream on a date or whatever, sitting on a park bench, and you just end up sort of watching people. Um, or you're at an airport, like you're, you're stuck at an airport waiting on your plane, and you're at a busy terminal, and people are like walking past you, and you just start watching people. Now, um, people watching can take like one of two directions, one of two routes. The first one is really helpful. Like just watching people can just build in you an appreciation for these beautiful people you get to share the planet with. 
Right? I mean, the, the world is just full of amazing people. With, and you imagine like the stories and uh, you just realize the, the, the creativity and the beauty of human beings created in God's image. And you just spend your time people watching, almost blessing people. Like, God, just bless that, you know, that, uh, the woman with those kids over there and uh, just help her, you know, make her flight uh, or whatever the story may be. You, it's a good thing. It takes a, people watching takes a good route. But I need to confess that it doesn't always take that route in my mind. Sometimes people watching can take a more devious route. Where I start to ask questions like, I wonder what their problem is. Like, you know, you hear these voices like in your head, like, I wonder what's wrong with him. Um, You start like ever so slightly, at least I do, shifting into this mode sometimes of evaluation. Like you see somebody maybe who's like, they're dressed better than you are, or they're better looking than you are in your judgment. And you start to like, oh man, like they've really got it going on. Maybe they look like they make more money than you do. And so you kind of like, man, those those people got it going on. You almost kind of are jealous. But then you see those other people who look different and you kind of start to like, man, what's, what's their problem? Like, uh, I, may not be, I may not be as good as them, but I'm certainly better than those people. Um, and I realize I'm alone in this. So uh, just hear me out. Um, apparently I am. Um, but what, what can happen is we can just start to find our place in the system of evaluating others. I may not be as good as some, but I'm definitely better than others. And to me, and to maybe the rest of us, Jesus, he tells this parable, if these are the voices that sometimes creep into our minds. Now, in verse, 10, verse 9 of Luke 18, he says this. Luke tells us, he gives us this hint of why Jesus tells this parable. He says in verse 9, he says, Now, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down. They're sort of people watching, and they are looking down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So to some people who are convinced of their own righteousness, what does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be righteous? And I, when I say that, I don't mean like pictures of you from like the 1970s, like you totally righteous dude kind of thing, or dudette, I don't know. Um, but what does it mean to be righteous? This is an important question because Jesus says these, these sometimes really cryptic things like in Matthew 5, right? Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, um, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What in the world does he mean? Well, like if we think about the kingdom of heaven, just to start there, don't think what happens after you die. Sometimes we're so geared toward the kingdom of heaven is what happens after you die in some other place you go to. Yes, I mean, that had, heaven has implications for what happens after we die. Absolutely. But when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, what he's talking about is life with God. He's talking about life with God that is experienced here and now and is experienced for eternity after we die. And it's, it's, so it starts now. When Jesus says life, uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's, it's the reign of God. It's God's activity. And we get to step in line with God's activity. We get to step in relationship with God. And we get to experience the kind of life God has always been inviting human beings to live. That's the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly never enter the kind of life God wants for you. Well, what kind of righteousness did the Pharisees and teachers of the law have? 
They treated righteousness a little bit like my mom treated her front yard when I was a kid. I had a four-wheeler, and um, I remember Christmas Day when we got this four-wheeler, and, you know, immediately, what do you do? You jump on this thing, and you just start tearing things up. And my mom, like, loved the grass, and we had a huge front yard. It was perfect for riding four-wheelers, and she learned very quickly that she had to put limits on the front yard or her grass would be gone. So uh, what happened was... Uh, we put these boundaries around the front yard, but the boundary wasn't like where the front yard began. The boundary was like 20 feet away from the front yard so that I couldn't just by accident happen to creep my way onto the grass in the front yard. So does that make sense? You kind of get the picture? Pharisees did the same thing about the religious laws in the Old Testament. They, they said, okay, uh, okay, here's the law, and we don't want to break the law. We're going to put a boundary over here so that we definitely don't break the law. If the speed limit says 65, we're not even going to go 60. That way, like in a moment when we're not paying attention, all of a sudden we creep up over 65, and we would never want that to happen. Maybe you know some people like that. Um, um, so that's what the Pharisees did. They made their, like, their way in the world by exceeding the law. By going beyond the requirements. And so is Jesus saying to be a righteous person and and to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to go beyond what the Pharisees are going beyond. You have to be a better rule keeper than they are. Is that what he's saying? To be righteous doesn't mean to be religious. Like super religious doesn't mean to just be a really good person. Righteousness, you just be a really good person. Be an upstanding person. Be well-respected. Do the right things. Don't do the wrong things. Is that what it means to be righteous? Hey, uh, so I don't drink too much and I don't swear even when I stub my toe in the middle of the night. I don't listen to country music unless it's Chris Stapleton, but that's not really country because it's actually music. Um, You don't like root for North Carolina or the Broncos or the Yankees. You you, You just sort of keep these rules. Is that what it means to be righteous? Well, no. The word righteous, it literally means rightly related. Rightly related. To be righteous in New Testament language is to be rightly related to God and to others. It's to know how to relate to God and to each other. It's not about rule keeping at all. So Jesus, like what he's saying to us is this. Unless you give up on the rule keeping, the religious sort of like trying to exceed the letter of the law, unless you give up on that whole system, you can't experience life in the kingdom of God. The righteousness Jesus is holding out to us is of, is of a completely different sort. We can't receive it by being good enough by keeping all the rules. Does that make sense? So, to some people who thought they were righteous in their own eyes, Jesus tells this parable. So he goes on, and here's the story, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and then the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Um, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man and not the other went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, the story Jesus tells us about two men 
One of the men is obviously good and the other is obviously bad. Nothing could be simpler than one of these men is obviously good, is a role model to follow, and the other one is bad, somebody you should avoid. And the Pharisee is obviously good. Obviously good. Like we hear, we hear stories about Pharisees now like from 21st century from, um, from our perspective. But when Jesus starts telling the story, everybody thinks, man, the Pharisee's good. Pharisee's obviously a good person, especially when compared to a tax collector. I mean, the Pharisees are, they're upstanding people. He's obviously generous. He's spiritual, like he fasts twice a week. I don't do that. Um, he, he's uh, in worship all the time. Like he's a good, good man. Jesus tells a story about a good, good man and obviously a man who's bad, this tax collector. Um, tax collection in that day was not like working for the IRS. It wasn't a, a cushy job of the IRS. Tax collection meant that you worked for the oppressive Roman Empire. When the Romans came in and conquered a people, what happened was they, they put in place this incredibly oppressive system of taxes, taxation. And they had to sort of prop up the empire somehow, so they just got it from peasant farmers and, and people in the communities that they conquered. And so tax collectors were hated people because they worked for the Romans. They, they worked with the Romans to collect this dirty money to send back to Rome. So they were hated because they worked with the Romans. They were hated, doubly hated, because they were Jewish people who were traitors. They were collaborating with the Romans. They were triply hated because the system of collecting taxes was full of corruption. That if you were a tax collector, you were a Jew who turned on your fellow Jews and started collecting taxes for the Romans, you could collect as much as you wanted above and beyond what Rome needed. And you did it to get wealthy. And everybody did it. So tax collectors were hated, not just because they were collaborators, but because they were crooks. They were filling their own pocket on the back of the hard work of their own people. And they were quadruply hated um, because they were unclean. They were dealing with all this unclean money and unclean stuff that needed tax. And so they were like, in the, word, in the world of the first century, they were scum of the earth. They were cheaters. They were liars. They were sinners. They were traitors. And so what happens in the first century? is people just started inventing language to just lump all these undesirable people together on the garbage heap of worthless people. So they started saying things like, ah, oh, they're like tax collectors and sinners. Do you hear that? Just, just lumping all these people. They're like Gentiles and tax collectors. They're like prostitutes and tax collectors. This was the way people, you just sort of write people off because they're obviously worthless. Jesus tells a story about two men, one who's obviously good, one who's obviously bad. He says there's two men. Uh, here's a parable. He goes, two of them go up to the temple to pray. The good man, the, um, the Pharisee, he goes up to the temple to pray, and he, he knew the way pretty well, right? He probably went to the temple every single day. Every time the temple doors were open, he was there. He never missed a day, never missed a worship gathering at the temple. This was part of his duty. And so he just walks his way up to the temple to pray. Can you imagine the tax collector walking up to the temple to pray? For him, this was much more a walk of shame, sort of hanging his head, like 
dealing with like the, 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 the glances, the murmuring under his breath, under their breath as he is walking toward the temple. So they, they both go up to the temple to pray. Um, you imagine him like walking into the temple courts and he thinks like maybe like looking up thinking, am I going to get struck by lightning? I've actually had people tell me like, hey, I would come to your church, but I might get struck by lightning when I stepped on the property. Like, in all seriousness, people have, have said that. Like, that's how they see themselves. That's how they see God. Like, God is just this sort of this angry old man in the sky ready to smite you with lightning bolts, right, when you step onto the church property. I imagine that's a little bit of what this, fair, uh, what this tax collector felt. Um, it says, both men stood alone. The Pharisee, uh, he stands alone. Why? Well, because he doesn't want to be contaminated by the unwashed masses, he doesn't want to like accidentally touch somebody who's unclean, so he's going to stand alone all by himself over here to do his personal worship. The tax collector stands alone too, but not because he doesn't want to be contaminated. He just like he feels contaminated himself. He can't bear to be around people. He can't bear the company. He just is trying to hide in the corner covered by shame. It says um, both men, uh, both men look down. The 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 Pharisee. He starts looking down on everyone else. He starts like from his position there as he's praying, he starts like people watching and he's like categorizing and he begins looking down. Uh, the robbers, you know, the cheaters, the thieves, the adulterers, and um, all these people who were like just obviously sinful bad people. He starts looking down on them. But the, the tax collector, he's looking down as well. But not that he's looking down on anybody. He's like at the bottom. And so he's looking down because he can't bear to lift his eyes. Just filled, filled with this shame at who he was. Both men pray. Uh, the, the tax collector prays this prayer. Now there were three kinds of prayers in, in sort of the Jewish spirituality. The first kind of prayer was a prayer of confession. The second was a prayer of thanksgiving. And the third was a prayer of petition, asking God for stuff. Which does he pray? Confession, thanksgiving, or petition? the Pharisee. It's Thanksgiving, right? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that what? That I'm not like those other people. Thank you, God, I'm not like those sinful people, those cheaters, those adulterers, right? Now, here's what we can do. We can build an image of the Pharisee in our mind that's kind of a caricature, like not really real. And it might be based on things that we've seen or dramas we've seen. And you can imagine this Pharisee like standing like real pious over in the corner praying a prayer like, I beseech thee therefore God on behalf of my wicked brethren. You know, like this prayer that you would never pray. But what if it isn't that? What if he's praying a prayer more like one we would pray that says, God, thank you that I'm not like those drug dealers. God, thank you that I'm not like those people who have wasted their life. Who, who have thrown their lives away. God, thank you that I'm, I'm not like those people uh, who are in prison. And think, about, think about the things that our culture says about certain groups of people. And imagine praying a prayer that says, God, thank you that I'm not like them. I'm, I, God, thank you I'm not like those sinners. See, that's a prayer that maybe we could actually find ourselves praying. God, thank you that you taught me how to be different. You taught me how to be generous. I tithe. Thank you, God, that I tithe. Thank you, God, that I, I, you've taught me how to fast twice a week, that I'm, I'm a person who's self-disciplined. I don't just sort of give in to all these cravings. God, thank you that I'm not like those people. What if his prayer was authentic? 
This prayer of gratitude that he's not like everybody else. You see, what happens in this parable is, you know how I've always read it? I've always read it in a way that I end the parable and I say, thank you, God, that I'm not like that Pharisee. And do you know what happens when, when we say that, when we end this parable and we walk away saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like that Pharisee? Do you know what happens? We are the Pharisee. Like, this is why Jesus tells these amazing stories, because we're caught, we're in it. Like, this is a prayer we could find ourselves praying, but the prayer the tax collector prays is the only thing he can muster is, is, is like grieving. He beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That's his prayer. Jesus ends the parable and he says, the two men went home and the sinner went home justified, rightly related to God, and the Pharisee didn't. Now, this is a disorienting story because it calls into question everything we think we know about who's in and who's out. It calls in everything we think we know about who's on top and and sort of who's on the bottom rung in God's eyes. And it, it gives us a gift to say, if we're going to see ourselves the way God sees us, we need to drastically change our vision. Take a listen to what, um, to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, because you find this all over the New Testament. Here Paul says something pretty amazing. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that's worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like thieves and adulterers and drug dealers and name the people. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? Make your list. What does Paul say? Of whom I'm the worst. See, Paul is holding out to us the keys of the kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches us the keys of the kingdom of God is, is collapsing, is giving up this view of trying to evaluate other people, and it's just simply saying, God, I am in need of mercy. I am a sinner in need of your mercy. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That speck in somebody else's eye, no matter what they have done, no matter what their past, Jesus teaches us to constantly see our own condition, our own sin, like a plank sticking out of our own eyes. And, and, and to deal with that before we deal with anything else. Um, when we learn to see ourselves and others and God through the light of the cross, we learn so much about our true condition. We learn that we are part of a sinful race. Like we're just part of a rebellious people, rebelling against God, the rightful king of heaven and earth. I am a rebel. Like I, I, I try to run my own life. This is what we see when we look through the lens of the cross. We see that our own sin. We see that the New Testament says that we're actually dead in our own sin. Like it doesn't say, which is interesting, the words used, it doesn't say we're wounded because of sin. It actually says we're dead in sin. Like there's a sense of like, I can't, I can't change myself. Romans chapter 3, uh, Paul, he, he kind of quotes this poet and he says, there is no one righteous no one, you hear that word? No one right related to God and others. Not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. If the cross is the cure for my sickness, then my sickness is pretty severe. Would you agree? 
You can tell me. Like, yes, your sickness is very severe. If the cross is the cure that heals me, then my sickness is really, really severe. And this is what we see left alone to ourselves, like that we are just bound for self-destruction. And so when we learn to see ourselves and others and God through the lens of the cross, one of the things that we reveal is our true condition, our need, that we are in need of mercy. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story, the bigger, it's not even half of the story, it's the bigger part of the story, is when we learn to see ourselves, God, and others through the lens of the cross, we see God's unspeakable love toward us. Like what we see when we see ourselves through the lens of the cross is how much God loved us and he wasn't willing to allow us to stay in a sinful condition, in a rebellious condition, on a a sort of a path of self-destruction. We see God's amazing love that drove him to become a human being, to become one of us, to enter into our mess. We see God's amazing love that led him to go to Calvary, to go to the cross. We see his amazing love that allowed him to take all of our rebellion, all of our sin, all the consequences that we have, uh, we have sort of earned by our own actions. He took all of it onto himself, and his great love allowed him, um, compelled him to take all of our sickness and sin and to take it down into hell and bury it there. God's love for humanity is seen when we learn to see ourselves through the lens of a cross. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, where, where sin abounds, and sin abounds in my life. And Jesus, Paul says, where sin abounds, what? Grace abounds all the more. It's like when God looks at like our sinful condition, he's like, okay, okay, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of bad. You kind of made a mess of things. But your sin is like here, and my grace is like an ocean being poured out on you. That you could never, it's like he, he's so extravagant in his gift of love and grace and mercy that he just pours it onto us, and we could never exhaust it. That God, like when we learn to see ourselves through the lens of the cross, we see God's amazing love for us. Now, it would be a little bit like, let's say you were walking down the street, you, you walk out in the parking lot after the service, right? And there are two people arguing, and you kind of come up behind them because they're like, they're kind of getting heated. And you hear what they're arguing about. And one person is standing there who's like slightly taller. They're like 5'9", five, 5'9 nine, five inches tall. And the other person is like maybe 5'5". Five, five. And the taller one is like arguing and, and sort, of like, sort of rubbing it in the other person's face that because they're four inches tall, they are closer to the sun than the shorty. Right? I am four inches closer to the sun than you are. Like, I obviously have, like, um, better tan action going on here, right? Now, anybody know how far the sun is away? It's like somewhere around 93 million miles, right? Would it be ridiculous for two people to be arguing about being four inches closer to the sun when it's 93 million miles away? That's ridiculous! But when sometimes... As people of God who grew up in the church, or maybe we've, we've been in the church for a long time, we can start to play this evaluation game where we feel more justified than name the sin, name the person. We feel more justified because, you know what, we're four inches taller. 
all of our goodness, all of our, and the good stuff we do, hey, you like, you tithe, great, keep it up. You're, you're generous in other ways, great, keep it up. You fast, great, keep it up. You read your Bible every day, great, keep it up. Like you, you love your neighbors, great, like keep doing those things, but don't ever confuse those things as having any impact on your standing before God. We don't do any of those things to be justified. We do them because we are justified. We don't do any of these things to become righteous. We do them because we are righteous because of God's great mercy for us. And this is the key of the kingdom. And when we learn to see ourselves through the lens of the cross, it sets us free from the need to evaluate others. When we learn that we are in need of mercy, it just sets us free from needing to fix people. Right? Like you, you have somebody in your life you want to fix, you want to change them. How many of you are sitting here like thinking, man, I wish my wife was here. I really wish my husband was here right now. I, 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 I hear that sometimes. Like I really wish, you know who needs to hear this sermon? It's my, my child needs to hear this sermon. Do you know what that says? Like when that's the first thing we think about when we hear Jesus say something, like we hear his words, probably means there's a, there's a little more Pharisee inside of us than we'd like to admit. If the first words when we hear Jesus say something are, God, how do I receive this? God, how do you want to change me? God, how, how do I need to humble myself to hear this? This is, this is the open posture that just allows God's life and his love to flow into us. Um, everybody wants to fix the world, but nobody really wants to fix themselves. G.K. Chesterton um, by the way, yeah, read everything by G.K. Chesterton. Um, absolutely amazing. But there's a story that says uh, the Times, this newspaper, put out a question and we're soliciting answers. It says, hey, what's wrong with the world? Now, this is the, co- this is the topic of pretty much every conversation in the coffee shop or, you know, wherever. You're just sort of hanging out. It's like, what's wrong with the world? I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. I'll tell you what's wrong with politics. I'll tell you what's wrong with those people or those people. Like, everybody wants to tell you what's wrong with the world. So they just put out this big question. What's wrong with the world? And you know what G.K. Chesterton says? Here's his answer. I am. Every problem that's out there lives in me. And if I could just simply keep myself in a position that says, God, I'm in need of your mercy, then I could lay down my need to try to fix the world. Where do we, where do we come away thinking we're going to fix people? Like, we're going to fix our spouse. We're going to fix our child. We're going to fix our friend. Like, we're broken people. We're not going to fix anybody. It's not our job. It's not a weight we were ever meant to carry. The only thing that's ours to do is to agree with God that this person is infinitely loved and, and to, to do everything we can to show them the love of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. That's, that's our only job, and it sets us free. It sets us free in amazing ways. Um, if you're here this morning and you are a Pharisee um, like me and you tend toward evaluation, I think part of, part of our, our hope is to keep ourselves in a place that says, I am in need of mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't identify with the Pharisee at all, I know I'm, I know I'm a sinful person. Like, I, you don't have to tell me, like, I, I, I barely came today because I'm just so ashamed of my life and decisions I've made. 
Uh, I just want to, if you would just, just hear these words. Jesus, Jesus didn't come for healthy people. He came for those who knew they were sick. I mean, he didn't come for people who had it all put together. He came for those who knew that they didn't. And the prayer, the simple prayer that says, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the prayer, Jesus says, that justifies us before God. This is the prayer that opens the floodgates of God's mercy into our life and and allows us to be rightly related to him. This is the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're, you're praying this prayer, your heart is open, I want to assure you, I want to assure you that God is with you, that God is working in your life, that you can leave in a place of being rightly related to God. Now, your life may be a mess and your life isn't going to get fixed like that, right? Your life, it didn't, you didn't learn how to be broken in a day, you're not going to be fixed in a day either. So you're going to need to invite other people around you to walk with you, to, to learn how to live this life of right relationship with God and others. But may we be a church this week that just prays this Jesus prayer again and again and again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Every time we're tempted to evaluate, every time we're tempted to point a finger, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, we thank you that your mercy, it abounds. God, so much more than our sin. And so, God, um, we're here as as people who stand before you empty-handed. We have nothing uh, to bring you except ourselves. And, God, we do that. We open our hearts. And, God, you know, um, you know this cry of our heart that just says, have mercy on us, God. And we trust that you do. We trust that you have. Jesus, that you have given your life to show us how much you love us, to save us from our sin, to invite us into your kingdom and to shut down any form of religion that keeps people in bondage. God, may we just hear your goodness and grace um, in these words that we sing together. Amen.